podcast listeners, we're back on another great episode. I am hanging out with Trent Cotton. Trent, his official title is the Director of Talent Acquisition for BBVA in the United States. He is also uh, come up with this brilliant concept of sprint recruiting and doing some amazing work in this area, but also like in general, he's a relatively new friend, but I feel like Trent and I kind of get each other. We're both guys who uh, maybe, you know, swear occasionally and maybe enjoy our whiskey every once in a while. And that's not typically what HR is, but yet we're, you know, I just, I just was totally empowered by him because he knows how to recruit. He knows how to bring teams together. He knows how to do it from a business perspective, not just the willy nilly. Oh, let's make teams all, you know, everybody be happy, but no, no, no. How do we actually form amazing, great teams in an effective business case while also, you know, empowering people? And so I just was inspired by him. He's just a cool guy. He's just inspiring to hang out with. So Trent, thank you so much for being awesome and also for being a guest on the show. I hope everybody enjoyed as much as I did. And uh, yeah, keep having the influence that you are. Trent, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of see where the conversation goes. It's fun how we uh, we started Smack Talk, and I think actually, as we knew, we were both on the uh, the Hire Tool like Skill Hack event. We connected beforehand, had a couple pretty fun conversations. Realized uh, I think we should probably be doing this over a podcast. So it worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we geeked out a little bit on uh, some of the topics, so. Um... I guess that's why I'm really kind of excited to see where this one goes. <laughs> we might need to cut it off at the end because either either it'll lead to a happy hour and it's going to get dangerous or uh, or uh, we'll just go off track. But that's that's not always a bad thing. But uh, before we dive into, I think, some of the things we're going to we're going to nerd out a bit. Tell me just give me give me the life story. I'd love to hear the background. I'd love to hear kind of what's led you up to today. Yeah, um, I am a, uh, I still like to say, recent convert to HR. Um, I've spent most of my career working through college and even after college working as a banker. And uh, up until, I don't know, maybe four years into my career, I always thought that HR stood for uh, like hated really or really hate it. Um, I just uh, hated working with our HR people. And uh, I got to a point in uh, late 2003, early 2004, and it was just a career pivot. Um, you know, alone's alone, uh, um, you know, going after clients. It was kind of like pushing a rock up a hill and watching it fall back down. And I decided to make a pivot and I took a chance and uh, started working for a local bank as a contract recruiter and spent the first six months being, and I wish you could say I'm doing air quotes, trained by um, HR recruiters, which were essentially HR people who were forced to do recruiting. And I, I swear, man, I, I think that their goal for the first six months was to try and convince me that I was not cut out for the job because I didn't know all the HR laws. Um, and anyone that knows me or follows me on any kind of social media knows that I don't really play by the rules. Uh, I've got a potty mouth. So um, it, it was interesting to watch how, um, you know, I guess I just kind of had one of those moments where I said, look, this is just sales. I've been doing sales for as long as I've been in the workforce. All recruiting is, is going out, developing a pipeline, managing a talent portfolio, managing expectations of both of your clients, in this case, the manager and uh, the candidates, and then following it through uh, to execution. And then once I made that mindset shift, I started to see a lot of success and um, started out as a sourcer. And then they gave me, I call it all their, their crap jobs. So 
I, uh, I think the first job I worked on was a poultry lender. And uh, I had been in banking for seven or eight years at that point and never knew there was such thing as a poultry lender. When you say people, like, the manager, like chicken, like chicken poultry. Yes, yes, which uh, just another bit of irony. I am terrified of chicken. So that just added a whole other <laughs> level of complexity to the search. Um, we haven't met so in person. I'm that. not here to judge it, but like, aren't you like a pretty like big guy I'm like six one yeah i'm six one and the, the only chicken that i like that i feel comfortable with has the initials kfc on it so um so anyway you know we get on the phone with this manager the job had been open for six months uh the recruiter that was giving me the job out of her gracious heart hated me uh she was one of the ones that just i mean i, I think her life's ambition was to try and make herself feel better by putting me down so anyway, we go on the phone, manager starts complaining about how long it's taking and then the fact that they're giving the job to this newbie. And he goes, all right, uh, since you're new and I'm going to have to train you on recruiting and train you everything else, what do you need to know about my job? How can you get it filled? And so I have one burning question. Uh, and his name was Fred, an older guy. I said, Fred, I just really need to understand before I can even start looking on the loan to value. But I used LTV. Um, he goes, wait, you know what LTV is? I said, yeah, I used to be a lender. So prior to this, I managed four states for a mortgage broker. I just decided I'd, I'd give a shot at uh, recruiting. And uh, I said, but on the LTV, um, do you, what's your average? He goes, like 75%. Now, I knew what he was doing, 75% loan to value, but I just kind of took an opportunity to, to make him laugh. I said, so is that from the neck down or the ankles up? And he just, you know, he just died laughing. And I yeah, told him, I, I said, look, no, I know. I, yeah, I told him, I said, Fred, look, I understand you're kind of treating it like AR and uh, kind of doing it on that. I said, walk me through the ratios, kind of, you know, who are our biggest competitors? Fast forward about 30 days and uh, found him not one, but three candidates. And he was uh, a little perplexed because he fell in love with two and he couldn't figure out which ones to get. And that started my journey because I realized I had something that these traditional HR people didn't have. I could talk to, I could talk business. You know, if they were talking about back-end yield spread, I knew what they were talking about. Portfolio runoff, I knew what they were talking about. My HR counterparts didn't. All they knew was HR. And that just kind of started my trajectory. And, you know, that was 2004, and now it's 2020. And I have, uh, I have the wonderful responsibility and honor to manage the um, – talent acquisition execution plan for um, BBVA in the U.S. And I have 28 fantastic recruiters who report directly to me, keep me in line and are always kind of challenging the status quo with me. And um, I mean, it's just kind of a kind of a fun story. I mean, there, if you look at my resume, Mac, it looks a little schizophrenic unless I walk you through it. You're like, how in the hell did you go from this to that? Um, you're yeah, talking. I mean, you're it, it's you're talking a, to the guy who went from lawn care as his first business to uh, to HR tech. So I can vibe with somebody who's got a little <laughs> scatterbrain background. So, <laughs> but you know, I think it. I think it does bring a different level. And um, you know, I, I mean, in 2004, 2005, 2006, I'm sitting with the CEO that I'm supporting for a business unit. And we're talking all business, but in my mind, I'm transferring, uh, transforming it into what's the talent strategy going to look like. And at the time uh, that I left that first firm, I became the HR manager for a, a large group or a large division. And so it was not just how am I going to handle the recruiting strategy, but how do I translate these business levers that need to be pulled into the talent strategy internally? You know, do we need to do some upskilling? Do we need to do some of this other stuff? And it really set me apart 
from a lot of your traditional, at the time, a lot of your traditional HR people that was um, employee relations, benefits, payroll. I mean, they had a very microscopic view of just what HR can bring to the table. And uh, I, I, I fell in love with um, Compass at the time. It was BBVA Compass. And ironically, I left Compass as a banker in 97 and I returned in 2010 uh, working in HR. Uh, but that, that's kind of been the, the core theme is I always I have a I have a curiosity. I have an addiction to efficiency. And uh, I'm very, very lucky that uh, I work for an organization that believes in failing fast. Uh, they always want to have iterative growth. And uh, my leadership team lets me kind of go and just break shit up and put it back together and try to find ways to make it more efficient. So um, it's just a, it, I really have it all right now. It's uh, in spite of COVID and everything else that's going on on the national scene. Um, I have a fantastic daughter. I have a fantastic team and I work for a great organization. And uh, honestly, that, that's kind of what gets me up in the mornings. What can I break and fix and, and find a way to do something quicker, better and more efficiently? Yeah, I love that. Let's um, let's go back to the early days. So you mentioned that uh, as a as a I think it was you mentioned as a uh, early on banker, you just kind of hated the HR department or the the people you oh, were God, yes. interacting with. What was it? Obviously, you don't need to call names, but what was it specifically that was it the compliance side of things? Was it the lack of innovation? Was it the I mean, because because uh, HR, HR definitely has a, a public persona. And then you talk to people like yourselves and you realize, oh, there actually are some badass people mm -hmm. in HR. But what was it that kind of off the off the cusp was just what you did? Like, what, what didn't you like right off the beginning? Well, if I, if I had to give a theme song to a movie answer to that question, it would be Megan Trainer's No, No, No. <laughs> because that, that's all I was told. And it, it was never, we can't do this, but we can do this. And, and for me, being a consultative banker, uh, being a, a, a consultant for so long, you can't go to a client and say, hey, Max, that's a, a bonehead idea without going, but here is a solution that accomplishes the same thing. Um, we, we've got two rules on my team. One is the no but rule. So you can tell a client no, but give them a solution, uh, something that will work uh, and be compliant. Of course, we need to check the boxes and do all that kind of stuff. But but be creative, you know? Um, and then the other rule is uh, William Denning's quote that uh, in God we trust everyone else must bring data. And so the, the angst that I had with HR is that microscopic view. And a lot of times I was working with recruiters that I was trying to staff, you know, I had business goals to meet and I wanted to move fast with the right person and they just kind of sent over crap. And it took them a long time to send over the crap that they sent. It, it was just, it was mind boggling to me. So that created an obsession whenever I did get into the role is I want to find quality, but I want, I don't want to sacrifice quality for speed, but I don't want to sacrifice speed for quality. They're, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And so even early on in my uh, recruiting journey, I've been obsessed with how do we make the process better? for our candidates, for our clients, and also for the recruiters. Because, I mean, there, there were days that I would go home and I go, I don't know what I accomplished. I feel like I just ran around in, in, a, in a circle. <clears throat> I, I kind of equate it to uh, whenever I, I first started my, my fitness journey, I was working with a personal trainer and um, I had to do the bike thing, you know, ride the bike for like 30 minutes. And he goes, oh, congratulations, you went four miles. I said, no, I didn't, I'm in the same damn place I started 30 minutes ago. 
Um, all I did, I didn't make any progress. And I think HR for a long time, that's what it was, was let's celebrate the fact that we went four miles, but they didn't change and they didn't evolve. And, um, you know, quite honestly, in 20, late 2017, I actually had one of those, what the hell am I doing moments in, in recruiting and said, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this. If not, I've got to get out. I, I can't, I can't do this, this rat race anymore. And, and, and honestly, that that's where, um, sprint recruiting came as a result of it, but it all started with the, you know, in design thinking of the voice of the client, I've never lost that voice of being a client on the HR side. And so whenever I'm talking and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about things, I always take myself back to working in that branch or, or managing that region and having to work with an HR partner. And I ask myself, am I someone that the old me would have wanted to work with? And if the answer is no, then I try to find out why and I change. How do you think um, in in your world, and maybe this has evolved over time, but how do you think HR and talent acquisition like appropriately plays well together, but then also at the same time, like goes against each other? Oh, fantastic question. Um, so let, let, let's talk about something easy. Uh, one yeah, of let, me, my... let, me, let, me, let me come back and softball you on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me, let me, uh, let me kind of ease into this. Um, so as an HR partner, one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is whenever I have an HR partner that says, um, there's some other things going on that are confidential. Okay. What are they? Because if they affect the talent strategy, then I need to know Well, they're confidential at this point. So there's almost like this subliminal mindset that recruiting is a subset of HR. And that is, that's not a successful mindset for an aggressive and innovative HR strategy. We've got to be tied at the hip. Um, it, it's few and far between that that happens. There are some that I've worked with throughout my career. It's almost like the knowledge is power and they want to hold it over you. And it's kind of like, I know something you don't. So there, there's still a little bit of that, I think, within the industry that, that we've got to break that wall down. Um, and overall, as an HR strategy, I, I wrote a blog post about this not too long ago and pissed off a whole bunch of HR people, which means that it was successful. Yeah, that means, a lot of I, I really like when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love all the comments. And I'm just like, I, I don't have enough crayons in the box to explain my response to you. But um, one of the things that I said is that, that HR is staffed ass backwards. And if you look at most organizations, we have a ton of HR partners, a ton of people dealing with ER and compliance and regulatory. But if we were to flip that and put more of that toward talent acquisition, and I'm not saying that because TA is my passion. I'm saying it because it makes more sense. If we have more recruiters guarding the front of the gate, we won't have to hire as many doormen to walk them out the back. So to me, it's just kind of like the antithesis of having a 10 or 15 member recruiting shop, but then having a 40 member HR business partner team. Because if we're doing our job on the TA side, we're actually helping our HR partners have time and be more efficient getting out of the ER stuff and spending more time with our client being strategic about what business levers need to be pulled in order to meet our revenue goals. Um, so those yeah, two are kind of the things it's, that, it's, that it's, I, I guess... Well, I was about to say, it just kind of, it kind of goes around the whole idea of building a strong foundation at the early side of things. Yes, you're going to need HR. Yes, you're going to need compliance. But if you spend a lot of resources actually on the early side of the vetting and the strong strategy of bringing people in, you're probably going to need less 
on the uh, right. <laughs> on the actual management of those people that you just hired. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do think that uh, at least over the last five years, um, there has been a change. I'm seeing a lot more HR partners who will like me from a career and competency standpoint. They came from the line. They're learning HR. They don't have to know all the laws and everything. They just have to know who our employment attorney is or, you know, who's really, really strong in ER. But they, they lead the business strategy whenever it comes to anything talent. So ideally, sitting down with your COO or um, any kind of business leader, you know, the, the question should not necessarily be, well, let me tell you all the HR laws that are changing or, or anything else like that, which is the old mindset of HR. I think it should be, all right, Max, you're leading your division. We just, you just got your goals for 2021. Let's talk about what are they? How are you going to reach them? And then let's talk about the talent strategy that we need from a retention, from an upskill, and from a recruiting that are going to help you meet those. And if you think about just having that kind of an opening conversation with a business exec, it's going to transform how they look at the partnership. And, uh, you know, I did some consulting in between uh, working for, for two corporations and worked with a lot of small to medium-sized businesses. And uh, I never will forget getting invited to um, this, this company thing. There were only like maybe 100 employees or something, but they had like a Christmas get-together or whatever. And I got invited, so of course I went. <clears throat> and to me, I, I received the most awesome compliment of my career. Uh, I was... Um, doing shots with the uh with the ceo and the cfo and where, the ceo where, where looking at things begin <laughs> i know you know uh well, that in itself was the thing you know here i'm doing shots you know with my hr partner but um the thing that he that he said he goes trent there are so many times i forget you're our hr consultant and that to me was a compliment because yep. he saw me as here is somebody that i just need to run some stuff by and I mean, sometimes he'd call and go, hey, I got this crazy business idea and I'm thinking about doing this and thinking about doing that. And because of my background working with companies on the finance side, you know, I would just ask them questions They go, OK, what's what's going to be your profit margin? Um, you know, how's that going to affect your cash cow? Um, you know, all this other kind of stuff. But then I would always come in as the HR consultant and say, do we have the people in place that we need to? And if not, how are you going to pay for it? Do we need to do some layoffs or do you need to do some upskilling? But it was just a natural transition that it wasn't, okay, well, let me put on my HR hat and talk about all the ways that you can't do it. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, it was business sense. People are part of the business. That's exactly right. So do you think um, that like, okay, so let's, let's take, let's wear the hat, me as a small business owner of a team of seven. I would imagine it's mm-hmm. a it's a softball of a question to say that philosophy remains true whether you're a company of two or two hundred thousand. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think even more so on the two hundred thousand than on the smaller company. Why is that? You have more exposure and more risk on the two hundred thousand employees versus the five or six. The five or six, you have a different culture. You know, nine times out of 10, you're working with people that it's almost like an extension of family. So you don't have all of the different, he said, she said, I call it the the daycare um, stuff that sometimes you have to deal with as an HR professional. (laughs) Uh, But the the, the risk is more hurt feelings versus lawsuits on the smaller side versus the larger side. Now, where it's different, where I think you need it, 
if you were a small business and, and you were saying, hey, Trent, what should I look for in a, in a consultant? For me, it, it's, it's looking at uh, a consultant who can see your now, but also see your future and make sure that every decision you make over the next however many days is propping you up for where you want to be in five years. And that's where having that business acumen, someone that's used to developing a, a pro forma or a, a growth plan for a business, that's where they bring value where a traditional HR person doesn't. You know, the traditional HR person is just looking at the now. If you fire this person, they could file unemployment or they could file a lawsuit and it'll have, you know, all these other ramifications. Whereas a future looking HR person will say, yes, you may have to pay out of pocket 25000 um, you know, just to kind of settle this out of court. But if you find someone that can replace that revenue for the dead weight that you're getting rid of, it's going to put you closer to your goal in, four, in, in five years. You may be able to accomplish it in four years. So what's that going to mean for your revenue target in four years versus five years? And they can, they can help you walk through it and one, present the risk, but frame it. Um, as an HR partner uh, early in my career, I worked with an attorney I loved loved working with because uh, I would always go, Hey, um, I got a situation. He goes, all right, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want to do. And let me find a way to make it legal. And nine times out of 10, I would say, look, if we were to right size this group, yes, we have some risk. I estimate it to be X amount, but if we go in and we hire the right people, we'll recoup that cost within X number of months. And it'll put us on a better profit strain within the next, you know, 18 to 24 months. And so it was the same conversation I had with the business line when we were considering what do we need to do, but it was dealing with the human capital, but using business sense, because there are times that, that you have to go, okay, I'm probably going to have to write a check um, because this is going to go sideways, but it's short-term pain for long-term gain. And that's the kind of mindset that you need from an HR consultant on the lower side of number of employees early on. On the upper side, you, it doesn't change, just the numbers get bigger and the implications get better. And then you're dealing with reputational risk. And, you know, depending on what type of industry you're in, you have different regulatory and compliance and legal ramifications for those kind of decisions. So it's the same concept. It's just, it's just a different viewpoint, I think. Um. That HR department that you despised back early on when you first started, do you think like that very legal, legalistic and or err on the side, no more, far more no's than yeses, do you think that was a top-down approach in the sense that do you think, you know, the executive team just viewed HR as their risk mitigation, which obviously they should be, but do you think, mm -hmm. do you think that culture of like the top-down understanding kind of what the different things you're talking about and viewing HR people as, you know, also business people as well, too. Do you think that culture has changed from the top down? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, a lot more organizations are looking at, at HR as being a partner at the table versus, you know, let's have a meeting and let's not tell HR that we're having it because we don't, we don't want them to invite themselves to the discussion. And it's really interesting. Uh, there, there's uh, a new book that I just read about uh, Netflix called No Rules Rules by uh, Reed Hastings and uh, I think Aaron Meyer. And it was just fascinating. They, they kind of chart their journey uh, of, of HR and 
uh, some of the different things that they did. And uh, Patty, Patty McCord, who was the, the HR person early on in, in Netflix, has always been someone that I've kind of idolized. And she had that approach of, of not being the no, not being the kind of top down, let's have an iron fist, but how do, how do we grow? And uh, in the book, Reed actually says that, you know, they carpooled together and they were constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. And I think that we're seeing a lot more of that in some of the corporate world where some of the senior executives are looking at their HR partners saying, you know, it, you know that old adage, it gets lonely at the top. They, they need a confidant, you know, someone that they can talk to that will keep things just between the two of them, that they can kind of whiteboard their ideas, uh, express their frustrations but have someone that holds them accountable and guards their flank. And I think that that's kind of the, the ideal HR person for, you know, kind of the transformation that we're going through now. Uh, another, another caricature that I love is off of billions. Um, Wendy, their in-house uh, HR person coach, she's, uh, she's a clinical psychiatrist and everything. And I mean, she's able to talk the talk. She, I mean, she gets in there um, and, and anytime uh, Axrod, who is the, the CEO, anytime he makes a major decision, she most of the time is involved. He's bouncing it off of her and say, okay, shoot holes in this. And to me, that's the fun part of being an HR partner is being one in the know, uh, but two, being able to really just kind of ask questions and say, Hey, are you thinking through this? Right. Uh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And at the end of the day, if it's going to make us profits, I'm still going to be able to keep my job because you're going to be able to pay me. I need to find a way to be able to support this and guard your flank. And to me, that's kind of where the transition has happened over the last three or four years that I've seen. Um, you know, I, I ticked off a whole bunch of people with my first book about the seven daily sins that make HR suck. And all of it, I mean, all of what we're talking about, it, it, it's overcoming those seven deadly sins of always saying no. It's, um, you know, processes over people. You got to fill out all this paperwork and you know, make sure that they, they meet all these qualifications before you can take care of the person who's in pain now. Um, so I think it, it's a, a lot of the successful organizations are starting to see HR partners, but really starting to see the, the partner in the HR and not just the HR, I call them HRA, the <laughs> HR adversaries. Um, so to me, that's exciting because, you know, TA is wrapped up into that. Uh, I do think that TA has always had the more fun part of HR. Um, you know, we would get invited to parties, but HR partners wouldn't because they knew that we could hang and um, probably um, great leverage because whatever they did, we could do better. But I I'm starting to see that, that that's transitioning over into the HR partner side as well. And it it's, it's really exciting. You know, it's, it's hilarious you brought up the uh, the billions example. I'm actually in the midst of, it's been my recent binge. So I, I have a Peloton. Mm. I, got, I got a Peloton during uh, the, uh, the, the height of COVID and I moved my Peloton. So it's positioned in my living room because I'm far too ADD to sit and watch anything. But I've started to ride mm -hmm. my bike and watch billions. And the whole time you were talking about like thinking – like having somebody who's got your back, who's involved in the decision. I was thinking about Wendy the whole time from that show. Really? And viewing, viewing her as somebody like who is not necessarily 
making all the decisions, but at the same time, she holds a ton of weight and can be very influential. She has the company's best interest. And she also knows when the company is trying to do something that maybe they shouldn't. And she's not necessarily trying to stop it from happening, but she's coming along saying, how can we do this the right way? And that's yeah. all of a sudden I, I, I look at it like if we could get to a culture where that's the interaction between the executive team and the executives of HR, and that's a together conversation, I think all of a sudden you can build some pretty cool companies. Oh, she's a badass. I love her. I, I mean, she is one of my favorite characters in there because she's so incredibly smart about so many different things. And she's got that personal relationship with the employees. So it's not this, let me look at HR data and, and the human is outside of human HR or of uh, human resources. She, she has that in the center of every single decision that she makes and every kind of retort she gives, advice she gives, everything has got that, that human um, touch to it. And, and to me, that's the ultimate form of, of HR. It, it, I mean, it's like I said, whenever you know, clients go, oh, crap, I forget your HR. I'm like, don't worry. I mean, if you cuss as long as um, I won't tell if you won't tell. So, you know, having that, that, that bridge of confidentiality and having that open relationship, that, that to me is what, what kind of keeps me in the game. Well, and also, you know, it, it, it changes it from just a transactional like claims department, because like, as I was telling you before this call, I've had a little issue uh, hitting a median with my truck and I've been dealing with like, you know, insurance claims. And when I stop and think like a similar, you know, a very cold, non-human relationship of HR to its employees, it turns into, you know, I, I'm, I'm filing a claim and that's the only interaction I have with my insurance. And same thing with like an HR manager. If you don't have like a, if you don't have that human relationship, that interaction, it's really like the HR manager, it's not fair to them because they're only going off of decision-making on the, you know, 10 bullet points of information I give them. And from my perspective, mm -hmm. I'm only as good as the, you know, again, that similar interaction. They don't understand motives, personality, you know, maybe it's, it was misinterpreted. I mean, all these different things. And so I, I think it, it's, that's an amazing step to turn that from like that transactional claims department ver version of HR to, you know, a true sit at the business table as well too. So I love that. Um, mm -hmm. I want, yeah. to give you, I want to give you a little time to uh, dive in and, and talk about kind of sprint recruiting and what all that means to you. Yeah. Um, so sprint recruiting, uh, I, I talked a little bit about it uh, or alluded to it that in late 2017, I had one of those, what the hell am I doing moments? And it was because I kept running into some of the same issues in recruiting and um, I was just exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. Um, you know, I had... Recruiters complaining about clients that they weren't engaged and uh, the, the candidate market was tough. I had uh, clients that were saying, you're not filling jobs. So whenever I go and pull the numbers, we're filling a ton of jobs. It, 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 it was just, there was a lot of chaos. And um, our organization went through an agile transformation. And I was very lucky to go through some training on design thinking, on the Kanban process or Kanban, however you want to say it. Uh, and then also uh, agile methodology. And it got me kind of thinking, okay, there, if agile methodology is able to take organizations that were in the traditional project management, waterfall project management um, cycle and transform their business to be able to move quicker and increase engagement, increase uh, client satisfaction and deliver quality products, there's got to be some implications uh, with recruiting. 
And so over time, I, I kind of went through and I was like, all right, uh, I'm a big note taker. So every time I ran into one of those, um, I kind of hate my life moments from a career standpoint, I jot down what I was feeling. And I noticed that there were four pitfalls of the recruiting that I was doing at the time. Uh, the first one was that everything was a priority, which means that nothing is a priority. Uh, at the time, we had uh, one of the executives I supported, I kid you not, in three weeks, I got six emails that said, this is top priority. This one's top priority. Now, this one's top priority. And, and it was just mass chaos. Uh, the, the, the second pitfall was that there was a lack of direction or like a rhythm to the recruiting process. And uh, I, I kind of equate that to the, the scene from Lu, uh, Lucille Ball where she's in the chocolate factory. I mean, that, that's how I felt about recruiting. Sometimes I was just stuffing stuff everywhere I could. The, the quality sucked. The speed sucked. Um, you know, and, uh, at the end of the day, the only thing that I had to prove was just a mouthful of chocolate. And uh, the third one I've already talked a little bit about is that we, we seemed out of touch with our clients. We were filling jobs, but it wasn't the ones that they wanted. Um, and then the last one is that there was no feedback. Uh, loop. Uh, the SLAs for feedback was only on my team and not on the hiring manager. And so, of course, you know, my, my rule of everyone, uh, what is it? In God, we trust everyone else must bring data. Uh, I went to our affiliate tracking system, downloaded, uh, just focused on one line of business and downloaded kind of a candidate journey. How long did they spend at each different bin within the recruiting process? And honestly, Max, it is one of the first times, and I'm a data nerd, uh, it is maybe one of the one or two times that I've ever done information and put it on a bar or, or any kind of a line graph and the information just jumped out at me. And there were two major, major obstacles we had on the feedback loop. We had seven days between the time we submitted a candidate to a manager until we received feedback. And then in this particular case, it was about two, two and a half weeks before we got feedback after the interview, before we went to an offer, we just voted them out. And so I was like, all right, so I've got my four pitfalls. Everything is a priority, which means nothing's a priority. There's a lack of direction. There's no rhythm. Uh, I'm out of touch with my clients and the feedback loop is very chaotic. And I, I remember sitting there going, okay, now what the hell do I do with it? So I went back to Agile. Uh, looked at what some of the companies did. And then I listened to Jeff Sutherland's um, book on Scrum. So uh, Scrum is kind of the process to uh, follow the Agile methodology. And I remember I was driving, uh, I was on a four-hour drive, and I remember it was like 6.30 in the morning. It was still a little dark outside. And he went over a couple of different points and said, holy shit, there it is. There's the answer I've been looking for. And so... Um, Whenever I got back to the office, I said, okay, I've got my four pitfalls. Let's go through four principles um, or objectives that I want to accomplish with this new recruiting methodology, applying agile methodology to recruiting. So uh, the first one is that the business drives the priority with a point system. Uh, we use uh, whip limits or work in progress limits that help drive focus, but also create almost like a cadence to the recruiting process. And then we were going to start recruiting in sprints, so two-week sprints, and um, be able to find some efficiencies and actually stop and go, what's working, what's not, and how do we iterate for growth? And then also instituting some type of a feedback SLA um, that would kind of continue the process. So in, in our world, uh, I've already painted the picture of, of chaos. Let me kind of paint the picture of how we recruit. We go and, let, Max, let's say you've got 20 open jobs. All right. The first thing 
that uh, the first principle is that business drives the priority with points. So we have, a, you and I would have a biweekly meeting where we do a retro call or, or kind of a retro meeting, a retrospective. We look back at the previous sprint and we talk about what worked and what didn't. We talk about the metrics, uh, but we also have an allocation portion. So I'll come to you and say, you have 20 jobs and you have a hundred points or a hundred dollars. Over this sprint, I want you uh, now to take that 100 points and you assign points to the positions that you deem are most critical to be filled over the next two weeks. So let's say you give 140, you give another 120, and then you give the other 215 and another 110. As a recruiter, I now have clarity. You have defined success for me over the next two weeks. It is absolutely imperative for me to make you happy to get that 40-pointer filled. So that, that's the first principle in action. Rather than having, oh crap, I've got 20 jobs open, which ones can I get filled quickly? Now I'm looking at it from the lens of the client, going back to you know, kind of earlier in our conversation, what's most important to you? And then I'll line up my behaviors. I do my time blocking and everything else aligned to meeting how you define success. The next step is putting in work in progress limits or uh, kind of stop gaps. So if you think about the recruiting process, there are three different swim lanes. You have um, the candidates, number of candidates that the recruiter is screening or sourcing or interviewing. You have the number of candidates that have been submitted to the manager. So resume, your write-up, you're waiting on feedback. And then you have the last lane before the offer, which is the, the ones, the number of candidates that are actually being interviewed by the manager. So what we did is we went in and we put the agile um, principle of whip limits in each one of those different swim lanes. Because what we were finding is that, um, and I'm sure it was just us, other recruiters never deal with this, but uh, you know, a manager would interview five outstanding candidates and they go, hey, is there more? And then they interview another 10, another 15. A month later, they go back to the one of the ones that they, they interviewed in the very first five batch. But it's like this over analysis, paralysis, FOMO, whatever you want to call it, and you lose candidates in the process. The whip limits stop that. So my goal is on your 40-pointer, that's your most, that's the highest in priority, I want to now go to my whip limits, my, my swim lanes, and say, how many candidates do I have in each one of those? So if I've got five interviewing with you, I've met my limit. I cannot schedule any more interviews until you give me feedback on the ones that you interview. I've also got five candidates that I've screened that I've submitted over to you, and I'm waiting on your feedback. So technically, Max, your 40-pointer, the ball's in your court. So now I move on to the 20-pointer, and I do the same exact process. So every morning, our recruiters uh, can come in and kind of look at our dashboard. Uh, we, we've got our own little dashboard. Some of them are kind of going in and done their own little thing. But regardless, they look at where we are in priority, how many candidates do we have in process, and they chart their day out uh, accordingly. So going back to that example, on your 40-pointer, we've essentially got 10 candidates in process. Five you're interviewing, five I'm waiting on feedback. Uh, if I start my day tomorrow, I may just send you an instant message or pick up the phone and call you and go, hey, you had five interviews yesterday. What's going on? What do you think? And you give me feedback and say two of them are good. The other three, I don't know what the hell you were thinking. So those three drop out of whip. And then now I'm going to say, well, give me, um, tell me who your top three are out of the ones that I submitted. I'll go ahead and book interviews for that. Once I accomplish you, that, uh, I go back. Real quick on that. How did you decide on the number five? Why is five interviews? You know, that, that, that's just for us, uh, for, for our clients. We found that anything more than five, 
they started getting the candidates mixed up. We would get candidates mixed up. Five was a nice, easy number. We started out with 10 and then we backed it down to three and three was too little because uh, we found ourselves scheduling interviews more than actually sourcing. Five is a nice, even balance. Uh, gives them a good swath of candidates, you know, if we're doing our job right. And it's also manageable for us. So our goal in the sprint is to front load. I mean, we want to hit that whip limit on a hiring manager interview so we can move on to the next one in, in, in priority. And that kind of keeps them busy long enough for us to move on to the next one and, and source candidates. So it buys us a little bit of time. Makes sense. There's no magic number. Yeah, I mean, no, no. There, I, didn't, there are, I didn't imagine if there was. It makes sense how there's a minimum. Like you don't like a two to three, you would you would be sort of unfortunately be bottlenecking yourself with paperwork or review. Exactly. And then with 10, it just gets to be too many to manage mentally, even if your notes are mm -hmm. perfect. So no, it, it makes sense why that. And I, I didn't, I didn't know if, if there was a methodology be behind the number five, but it sounds like you kind of arrived at that. That's what makes sense. So no, that's cool. All right. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. Just kind of trial and error. And uh, so those, those two working together, um, it, it kind of creates a beat that we can follow. And uh, the successful recruiters uh, at the beginning of the sprint, they'll actually email uh, hiring managers and let them know, hey, both of us are in the spotlight over the next two weeks to get your position filled. Let's talk about strategy. And, um, you know, it's the beginning of the sprint. I should have people over to you in the next 48 hours. You know, that'll put us at Wednesday. Give me some times on Thursday afternoon and Friday morning. Go ahead and block them off. And, um, that way, if you give me feedback quick on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, I'll go ahead and have those times blocked out and I'll schedule the interviews. So we, we cut out some of the, the constant rat race of who's available when, you know, candidate versus manager, um, and that, that sped up our process. And then the, the sprint calls that we have with our clients, um, each, each department has what we call a sprint owner. And their job is to understand the business, hold everyone accountable, kind of be our voice to the client and allocate the priority of points. And that, that's who we meet with. And uh, we, we give feedback. They give us feedback that they're hearing from hiring managers. You know, we, we, we kind of have those tough discussions biweekly. And it's significantly improved our alignment with our clients because one, they're defining success. Two, we report whether or not we missed it. And if we missed it and it's a result of the manager's we're telling the sprint owner, hey, your hiring managers are causing an obstacle. It's on them to go and engage their colleagues and light a fire under them. And just as an example, early on in the process, um, we did this with, with one of our groups, and they gave 60 points to this one role. And I, I, was, I was doing the search for the role. Found, I hit my whip limit within 48 hours of both uh, – uh, well, excuse me, hit my whip limit on hiring manager submitted. So I had five qualified candidates that were in budget, ready to rock and roll, emailed the manager, instant message, call left voicemails for two days. I didn't, I mean, he missed the 48 hour window. So according to our rules, I go and engage the sprint owner. So I call her, I said, hey, remember that 60 pointer? Has something changed? She goes, no, why? I said, is it still priority? She goes, absolutely. I said, well, I'm at my whip limit and uh, the hiring manager is going AWOL on me. She goes, what? I said, five qualified candidates that are in budget, which I don't know how in the hell I did that, but I'm going to lose these candidates if I don't get some kind of feedback. So I'm icing this position until you can light a fire under your colleague and I'm moving on with your next one in priority. She goes, give me, give me 30 minutes. 20 minutes later, 
The hiring manager calls and says, I am so sorry I haven't given you feedback, but here's who it is. I've already reached out to the candidates myself. I've uh, booked the interviews and I've already booked time with you to provide your feedback after those interviews. All of that happened in the span of 20 minutes while I was already working on the next one in priority. And guess what? I'm not the bad guy. There's mutual accountability. So whenever I'm, I'm training new organizations, whether it's, you know, at the bank, uh, coming into Sprint or, you know, doing some consulting, I always tell people, look, no one can hide in Sprint. If, if we're not finding the right candidates and hitting our whip limits, it is on us. And our report will show it. If we're at our whip limits and we're not getting feedback and, and you are the obstacle, it's going to show it. But at the end of the day, we're all moving toward that same thing, finding the right person in the right role at the right time in the most efficient manner possible. And I tell you, Max, this, this style, and it's not just because I created it or anything else like that. It's, it's the only way that I will recruit and only way that I'll manage a team of recruiters going forward because it, it takes all the chaos out of recruiting and lets us focus on what's more important, which is getting the right people in the process. And, uh, you know, with COVID, I was a little scared because when COVID hit, you know, like every other organization, we, we hit, um, we kind of hit pause, we hit, let's redirect, let's reassess. And I was like, all right, here's going to be a, a, an unplanned stress test for our, uh, for our new little, uh, baby methodology here. And it, and honestly, it excelled because even more so in a pandemic. So which ones are most critical to get filled for us to maintain business and deliver products and services to our clients? Those are the ones that got points and they were fewer. So we were able to fill them quicker and we were also able to build talent pipelines and it's completely transformed how, how we do recruiting, how we manage capacity. And um, anyway, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm hopefully finishing uh, the edits on, on the book. Um, it's called sprint uh, sprint recruiting innovate, iterate, and accelerate. And uh, my, my goal is to have it out right after the first of the year. But it kind of charts our journey. It explains the methodology, uh, tells you some, some ways that we just completely blundered, but how we learned from it, and also gives you some case studies for success of how to implement it yourself. So it's a, it's a topic I'm a little passionate about, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah, I can't, can't see that at all. I always find <laughs> any, any, uh, any business process where... I mean, yes, the feedbacks and the data, but also the personnel feedback is like weekly or biweekly. Like I always find that to be, even if it's a 10 minute discussion and it doesn't have to be, but when you have a scenario where um, that much feedback and accountability is put into place and appropriately done, I mean, that that's how you build a pretty rock solid process that everybody can get behind. It's known. Yes, it's stressful to enter into maybe to begin, but all of a sudden it's that well established that I, I just find any any process like that is, is one that sort of can gain some substantial legs and I think just be a good thing overall. So I think that's awesome. Um, your your book is uh, your book is dropping first of years. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, that's that, that's what I'm thinking. But um, you know, if people are interested and um, you know want to learn more about sprint recruiting and and some of the other uh, recruiting topics that I love to talk about, uh, they can go to sprintrecruiting.com. And uh, that's the blog. It's also a website. They can sign up for uh, early release under one of the tabs that says, I think it says print recruiting the book. Uh, they can get the first chapter for free. And, um, you know, I'll be probably people on that mailing list. I'll, I'll send a discount code out uh, prior to the release. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really exciting. 
fun stuff. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll never go back to traditional recruiting. And I, I've spent some time over the last two weeks talking to, um, you know, people that have maybe heard different um, articles or podcasts or whatever where I've talked about it. And um, it's funny because I'm, I'm passionate about it. But then whenever I think about them hanging up the phone and going back to traditional recruiting, it's like uh, it's almost like I need to take an anxiety pill. That, that's how I feel about you know, traditional recruiting, because there's, there's no method to the madness. I mean, there's still madness, but at least we've got, we've got mutual accountability and we've got a method to be able to contain it. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. It's fun. I like that a lot. And we'll make sure to include show notes um, that gives links to, to get the first chapter of the book as well, too. Um, and how I love to wrap up um, all shows. And I know obviously uh, sprint recruiting is a passion as well, too, but what is it at the end of the day that gets you out of bed in the morning? I have to say it's my team. I know it sounds a little corny, but, um, you know, for you, the first you are now on career, that answer. You're the HR guy that you didn't like back in 2004. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. It really, no, it really is my team. I mean, they, they are, um, I can be my real self, uh, crazy harebrained, crazy ideas, innovative, uh, and they go along with it. Um, you know, they'll, they, they'll try anything. They know that I track all kinds of crazy data and we've learned through this process together and we're always looking for how can we, how can we make it better? And they have some of the most amazing ideas. And so I, I get energy off of that. It's kind of like our, our last conversation of, uh, whenever we spoke, I think in September, uh, I had to go walk my dog uh, after you and I got off the phone because I was so jazzed. You know, I just wanted to go and conquer the world because I, I love that. That's that's where I get my passion. And so, what makes my my feet hit the the floor in the morning is learning what kind of challenge is is ahead. Um, that's what that 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 particular day is going to bring. But also working with a team that knows and trusts that I'm already looking at 2021 and how are we going to be successful. And I understand that every day I have to earn their trust, but that I at least have enough trust that whenever I say, hey, we're about to blow this shit up, that they go, you know, they kind of take a little bit of a deep breath and they go, okay, how are we going to do this? And to me, that that's what keeps me going. Um, I love it. I, uh, I, I believe in the organization that I work for and, um, you know, just being able to connect with other people and find out what they're doing in, in talent acquisition you know, uh, being able to geek out with, you know, people like you and, you know, a couple of others that uh, just, it's, it's not a job, man. It's, it's just a ton, a ton of fun. I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's the whole uh, point of this podcast is to find people like that in all different walks of life that can find a purpose, get, they get fired up about what they do. Yeah. They got to work, they got to grind, but at the same time, they actually love, like love what they do day to day. It's uh, not as rare as what people think. They just got to put the effort towards finding that. So I, I, I just love, uh, you know, shooting the shit with you and uh, uh, hearing sort of the unique um, passion to, you know, an industry that obviously we're both in, but you found a pretty amazing niche and obviously creating some influence as well, too. So I, I just think it's uh, it's an amazing thing. Um, I'll include also in the notes different ways for people to contact you um, as well, too. But is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, the only challenge that I would have, you know, uh, we're talking about connecting with other people. One thing yeah. that I started doing in, in 2020 that is um, has produced incredible results is whenever I listen to a podcast like yours or, you know, Matt Adler's or somebody else, and I hear someone and they're talking about something that just really engages me. 
you know, we go and we find candidates on LinkedIn all day long. I was like, why don't I reach out to these people and say, hey, I heard your podcast. I'd love what you're doing. Can we learn more? And I've had more conversations, you know, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes after hours with professionals at organizations that I hang up the phone and go, well, crap, I just talked to a recruiter at Netflix. I mean, who would have thought? But it was just a simple, um, excuse me, simple LinkedIn message going, I love what you've talked about. Can I learn more? And swapping the ideas and everything like that. So I guess my challenge, I'm going to pass that off to your listeners, is that if you hear someone on this podcast or you read an article, use that same recruiting tactic and tenacity that you have and apply it to going and making those connections. Because, you know, if we all start doing that and we start sharing our passions and we start um, overcoming obstacles together, I'm so freaking excited about what TA will look like, not in 2021, but in 2022 and beyond. If all of us have got that, that unified front, especially, especially with some key topics like, you know, AI and machine learning and um, different vendors that are out there and even important topics about um, diversity and inclusion. How, how do we handle that as, as a, um, as an industry? Because I, I honestly think that we're the tip of the spear. I uh, totally agree. And as a guy who is, uh, you know, we're now trending in five years being in this business, but now just scratching the surface and getting to know just people in the space. I've never been more excited to be in the TA, HR, just tech space. It's, it's, it's fun. Oh, me too. There's brilliant minds that have been in it, that those voices are now being heard. They're industry changing and a lot of cool business is happening too. So I think, I think it's a great spot, but um, Trent, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. And uh, I think when your book drops, we might have to go volume two. Uh, I'm, I am down, man. I am down. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much for the invite. You got it. All right. Take it easy, brother. All right. Take care. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.